Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Podcast of Impact Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I'm Pastor Brandon, the church planter and lead pastor. We are a new church in the D.C. area that is centered on the gospel and sent to our neighborhoods, Northern Virginia, and the nations. Please visit our website at www.impactfxbg.church. There, you'll find our current meeting times and locations. Our prayer is that you are encouraged by the message you hear today and fall more in love with Jesus and others. Thanks for listening. Um, I want to just thank you guys for being here. Um, we are going to uh, continue today in our sermon series on the book of 1 John. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, you can turn it to the book of 1 John. That's not John 1. It's, there's a, the one comes before the John. So basically, from my uh, many years of Bible drills, if you just go to Revelation and move backwards, it's a lot easier than going forwards. So there's, there's that. Um, if you don't know what Bible drills is, we can have a group therapy session later, and I can share that with you. Um, but no, uh, we're going to be in, in the book of 1 John uh, chapter 2 this morning. Um, we've been walking through the book of 1 John um, because, uh, one, it, it speaks a lot to us uh, where we are now. Um, one of the things that, uh, that John was writing when he wrote this letter was he was writing to a network of churches um, throughout the city of Ephesus. And so all of the things that he's saying are, are very relevant to, one, new churches, but also, two, churches that are embedded in really worldly cultural contexts. And I think that we can all agree that that kind of sounds a little bit like us. And so there's some really relevant things. If you, if you don't have a Bible, though, don't worry. Uh, there's an app for that, and we recommend um, the one called YouVersion, Y-O-U version. Um, and you can actually have multiple versions of the Bible and find one that, that works for you. But we do want everyone to kind of follow along. You also have a response card um, on, your ch- on your chair. We talked about it earlier, but there's a place on it for you to take notes. So we want to encourage everybody here to take notes. Um, and the reason for that is, uh, one, because it's, that's how you learn Sorry, I'm an educator. You got to write something down for you to remember it. It's just true. Uh, whenever my students switched to type in things, they forgot everything. And I said, get rid of them, get back your pens, <laughs> because it's how we're going to learn it. But two, we want you to take notes because we're walking through verse by verse the book of 1 John. And so when we finished, you will have notes to walk somebody else through the book of 1 John. That, that's why we say, hey, take notes, so that you can walk somebody else through it and you know how to kind of how to talk about it and how to go through it. So we encourage you to do that. Um, how many of you would agree that we live in a time-oriented society, that the most important thing is the schedule, okay? I, I think that that's pretty true, especially in this area. Like, we, we have uh, the thing that kind of binds us together is our mutual calendar, okay? How many of you have a family-shared calendar where things just get added to it, okay? Uh, or how many of you, on your, if we pulled up your work calendar right now, we might be a little anxious, Okay, that's me. <laughs> in fact, one day we were, in, and we were in staff meeting at the church, and I was sharing my screen and just happened to have up both calendars, both my work calendar and my shared Google calendar. And everybody said, what is that? Because <laughs> there's all of these colors, and there's not a lot of free time. And I'm like, welcome. Welcome, everyone. It's a beautiful day. Um, and, and anyway, uh, the thing is, though, is that for a lot of us, what rules our lives is the calendar, right? It's the schedule. It's the time. What time do I have to be there? Some of us are five-minute early people. Some of us are five-minute late people. Some of us just show up when we get there. And if you know what, if they're still meeting, awesome. <laughs> uh, and that's okay. You know, we can talk a little bit about that later. But the thing is, is that this starts for us as babies. Have you ever thought about it? Like how deeply this is entrenched into our psyche? Because when I remember when we had our first baby, when we had Jedediah, one of the first things they told us was that baby needs to eat every two hours. 
So you wake that baby up and feed him every two hours. Okay, no. Because rule number one in the Kinsey household is you never wake a sleeping baby. If they're asleep, you let them sleep. Oh, hallelujah, amen. Right? Okay? You let the baby sleep. Number two, we just had a baby. <laughs> like, you think I'm thinking about what time it is? There's like this, it's like this liminal space where time doesn't exist when you have a child for the first time. Or really, when a lot of those kind of things happen for the first time, you don't even know. But, you know, there are apps for that. And so, Britter got out a little calendar reminder app. And so, we did a whole little thing for every two hours. And that lasted for about a day. And then we shut that thing down and said, well, he'll eat when he eats. He'll let us know when he's hungry. And we moved on. He's also a pretty big baby. I don't know if you've seen Jedediah, but he, he's a pretty big kid. So he'll let us know if he's hungry. Amen? All right. So, <laughs> but the thing is, is that, that uh, sorry, oh, he's in the room. Hey, buddy. <laughs> I forgot you were here. Um, so that's one of those things, though, that it's just part of it. It's just part of the, the part of growing up. Because what starts as feeding time then turns into tummy time, Okay. You know, parents of young kids, you know what I'm talking about? Tummy time, all right? Then it moves into, like, uh, things like nap time, right? Amen? Amen. Okay? Moves into bath time. Moves into screen time when they get a little bit older. How much screen time can we have? Dinner time as a family. Um, And then children go to school. And then they have special time. And then they have literacy time. And then math time. And then they have elective time. And all of these things are time-based, until you get out of school, and then you get a job or go to college, and then you still have people that give you what your schedule is. And then if you go into the military, they get you down to the second, right? Like you're going to be here at this second, and then you move over here to this second. Or if you have bosses that are really micromanagers, they say, okay, here is your day planned for you. Congratulations. And then you're, you're left at the end thinking, where did all my time go? Because uh, it was all regimented for me. Sound familiar to anybody else? Anybody? Got it with me? Okay. You know, that's a uniquely Western culture thing. It's a uniquely American thing. There are other cultures around the world that are more relationally based, more family based. Um, So it doesn't matter, like, when you show up, the meeting could be at 3. I'm going to show up at 4.30 because I got into this really cool conversation with a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. I just said that, and three of you got really stressed out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> got really anxious about that. But it's true. I'm not, and I'm, I'm not here to say like one's better than the other, but I'm just trying to draw out this fact that um, we are always time conscious. And in the Bible, um, this is true as well, but the Bible has a different way of phrasing it. And um, we see this kind of play out in Christian culture, I think especially as a child of the, the late 90s, early 2000s, with a focus on the end times. Anybody live through Christian culture, late 90s, early 2000s, and focus on the end times? There was everybody was that happened during that time. One, I think, was it was not just cult, like just Christian culture, it was everybody, was Y2K. Y'all remember this? Y'all remember Y2K? It was a thing, right? Like, everybody was really stressed out. We thought the world was going to implode. Um, as soon as we rolled from 1999 to 2000, January 1, all the computers were going to shut down and our whole society was going to fall. So I hope you had your prepper lodge ready, your, your missile silo. And if y'all remember this? Sorry, you know, all the old people were like, yeah, all the young people were like, what is this? What? Hmm? <laughs> you didn't have an iPhone to just roll over? No, that didn't exist yet. It was a thing. Um, also, Time Magazine even did a thing about it. Uh, they, their whole thing was about the end of the world and how we were, society was going to fall as this, the millennium moved over. We were focused on the end times. So much so, I remember um, we uh, religious, well, I'm not going to say religiously in this context, but we faithfully purchased and read the whole Left Behind series and watched the movies. Okay? 
Some of you, like some core memories just got activated, right? <laughs> there was this focus on the end times. It was a real thing. And I remember very specifically in September of 1999, actually, no, this was in August of September of 1999. We were having a church revival at First Baptist Church of Olo, uh, Mississippi. That's where I grew up. And there was this traveling pastor. If you've never been to a Southern Baptist revival, we can talk about it later. It's a whole thing. Uh, but there was this pastor who came in and he stood in the front of the church behind the pulpit and said, Jesus is coming back on September 9th, 1999. Well, one of two things happened. (laughs) Either one, that wasn't true, or two, we missed it. Uh, But I'm going to say it was probably number one, that it didn't happen. Uh, Because, you know, and he he had this whole thing, like he he talked about how he had read all these, like he's done these numbers and generations, and and that's the date he came up with. It It was a wild time to be alive and in Christian culture for sure. But the thing is, is that that fascination with the end times kind of disappeared for a little bit and now it's come back. I don't know if you've paid attention to like social media and things like that, but everybody thinks the world's going to end. And like, there was a thing like, what was it, 2012? And then there was now it's like 2024. And so anyway, they're thinking all of these things. We're going to be reading a passage of scripture today that really speaks to this, but it doesn't. It speaks to it just a little bit, but it doesn't. And the reason I bring it up is because a lot of times these verses are used to talk about how we're in the end times. And my hope today is to help you see what John's really talking about as we're bringing it up. So we're going to read in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 18. So if you are there, say, I'm there. Awesome. So if you will, I'm going to read aloud. You follow along in your copy, and we're going to read a little bit of God's word. Uh, John starts off, he says, children, it is the last hour. We're just going to stop right there for just a second. Just, we read like, what, five words? I'm sorry. Last hour. If you want to, you can underline that in your Bible, because that is what we're talking about when we talk about time here. This is how the New Testament talks about the space between Jesus's ascension, Jesus's resurrection, and the news over the past few years coming again. It's the last hour, Okay. If you've been paying attention to the news over the past few years, you, ha- you know we have this clock to midnight, you know what I'm talking about? And like we're like, I think we're what, 90 seconds, we're like really close to midnight. All right, that, that's a, like a, an actually pretty decent picture of, of what this is talking about. Jesus is, I mean, I got some really confused faces. Jesus is, is coming back and the, uh, the early disciples knew that. And so they said, we're in the last hour because we don't know when he's coming, but until he comes, we live in the light of his return. So that's where all of this is coming from, and that's where this context is happening at, because John is talking to a network of churches, and he's telling them, I need you to understand that, all right, let's keep going. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. 
I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught to you, abide in him. Okay, so a little weird, right? Okay, there's some things happening culturally, there's some things happening linguistically, and the way that John writes, because remember, you know, John is like a junior high poet sometimes, he writes things, and you're like, that's, that's okay, yeah. Anybody ever read a seventh grade poem? They're fun, right? So much understand what he's saying. So my hope today is that we can kind of figure this out. I want to go back to this idea about the, the last hour piece, because all of this sits in that context of us being between the time of Jesus' return and Jesus' ascension, or ascension and return. But notice that John doesn't go into like biblical prophecy here. He's not explicating about all of the ways that it's going to look when Jesus comes. Instead, he just says he's coming. And that's a really important thing for us to remember. I love the way that, um, that David Allen, who's a theologian and preacher, puts it. He says, we're not on the planning committee of Jesus' return. We're on the welcoming committee. And that's a very different role, okay? We don't need to know the time and date and details. Instead, what we need to know is that he's coming, and we need to be prepared for when he comes. But instead, what John really falls into, or what he really talks about, is uh, this idea of the Antichrist and who that is, and there are many Antichrists. Um, if you are, are taking notes, you can just kind of write that down. That, that just means false teacher. That, that's kind of what that means. In fact, if you want to get down into linguistics, what it means is uh, basically an against Christ, or in a different way, instead of Christ. Um, and that's a really good way for us to think about that word. Because that's the word that gets latched onto when we talk about the end times, you know, having sat through multiple showings of the movie Left Behind, as well as reading the Left Behind series, there is kind of this cultural idea of what that looks like. Um, that's, that's not always right. I had to have that conversation the other day um, that with, my, with a family member, like, hey, like, yeah, that's cool. Like, it's, it's good, but like, that's not the Bible. <laughs> so let's not, let's not look to that. But John instead warns us about these false teachers who get in the way, seduce the church, and distract us from the mission that God's given us. That's the idea that we need to know. Because we know these false teachers come. And not only will they come, but they will increase as we get closer and closer to Jesus' return. And this is a really important point, because if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. You'll miss the strategy. Because this is the strategy of Satan. Satan can't create something new but he can twist it. He can mix it up. He can malign it. And that's something that he's been doing from the very beginning, all the way back to the garden. He took something good that God had created and twisted it. So that's what antichrist means. They're against Christ. They're instead of Christ. So these false teachers are going to teach you something that's against or instead of Jesus, and they're going to do it in a way that seduces you. So John doesn't want us to focus on end times prophecies, figuring that out. He wants us to be prepared for the coming of Jesus. And so how do we do that? How do we do that? It's a really great question, and I'm really glad that you asked it. It's because if we're going to be prepared for the return of Jesus, that means we have to be a follower of Jesus. So if you're taking notes, you can write this down. True followers of Jesus stay connected to the church. That's the first way that John tells people to be prepared, because if they're going to be a true follower of Jesus, they have to stay connected to the church. In verse 19, John kind of, kind of brings this up. He says, they, talking about these antichrists, they went out from us, 
but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they are not of us. See, the thing is, is these antichrists, these false teachers, oftentimes identify as Christian. They identify as part of the church, but they leave um, because if they had been a true follower of Jesus, then they, they would have stayed. They would have stayed connected to the church, to the fellowship of other believers. Because John even says that they're leaving because they left, it makes it plain that they never really followed Jesus to begin with. And that's a really important point for us because we're not just talking about somebody who got mad or got up talking about or moved or, or moved to the mission field and so they left a church. Like that, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about people that, that move from one church to another church. We're talking about people that just leave. They leave. They, they close the doors and they walk away. And they walk away not from just church. And, and I want to be clear here. They're not walking away just from church. They're walking away from Jesus. And that's a very different thing. Okay? Because I, 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 I'm going to speak from personal experience. I, I've been the person who's had to leave a church before because of hurt, because of, of an unhealthy part that was happening. So I've had to do that before. That's not what this is, just to be clear. So you may have heard this verse used for you, like if you were in a, in a hurt place and somebody said, well, if you leave, then you're not actually a follower of Jesus. That's, that's not what this verse is saying. What it's saying is that there are people who are antichrist, who are instead of Jesus, who are going to leave the church and bring other people with them and seduce them with a false Jesus. Okay, does that, does that make sense? Does that make it clear? I just want to be really clear there. Because the idea is that true followers of Jesus remain connected to the fellowship of other believers. That's the idea. Because if they are an antichrist, their leaving actually divides people. Because there are people who are going to turn their back on the real Jesus to follow this false one. And that's what happens. And that's what we see happen again and again. Because what happens is they, they start to follow this, this Jesus that's a little, bit, a little bit more relevant, a little bit better for them, a little bit speaks more my truth that I can connect with a little bit more. And so they get seduced by that. And so they deceive themselves and are deceived, and they walk away from faith to go follow somebody else. Uh, John is speaking very plainly, and he wants us to be warned that this will happen. Like, it's not a question of if this happens. No, it will, because it was happening in his day. And if it happened, you know, 60 years within the time of Jesus, like, so much so is it going to happen now. And we've seen it happen throughout church history. This is the thing. And, and John uses this language of they and us. Did you notice that? There's this they-us kind of division. Um, the reason that's there is because there's a really hard line between the two. There's a test that separates truth, and it separates people into who Jesus is and those who do not. And that line, that test, is knowing who Jesus is. That's the test. So that's your, your second point today. True followers of Jesus know who Jesus is. See, this, is, this has always been the dividing line. This is what the Bible refers to as the cornerstone of the church. Jesus himself refers to it as a stumbling block, a rock of offense, because this is the question on which everything else hinges. False teachers, antichrists, instead of Christs, will offer you something other than Jesus. And a good test for that is, do they say Jesus and? 
So something like, yeah, you can go to heaven. Jesus and works get you there. Jesus and your good works. That's, that's false. Um, or if they say, you know what? Yes, Jesus. Jesus is true. Absolutely. And we're going to do this little spiritual thing, right? Where we're going to have to like get some crystals and, and do some, you have to pray these specific prayers and do these different little things, special rites. That's a, that's a false gospel. There could even be this idea of Jesus and tradition. You have to have faith in Jesus and follow this direct code of how we do things. That's, that's, that's false. Or one of, uh, I was going to say one of my favorites, but really none of these are my favorite. Um, that idea of Jesus and prosperity. Or we're, we're going to have Jesus and, but you're going to know you have Jesus because your life becomes prosperous. And so that's, a, that's how you get to heaven is how much money you give. No, that's, that's not it. Um, another kind of trick is that they deny a part of Jesus. They're not going to come out and say, Jesus is false, this isn't real. Well, we automatically know who they are, right? right? But what if they came and said, you know, is Jesus really the Son of God? Like, is that really a thing? How can, how can you believe that? That's, a, that's that hook, right? That's that twist. Um, or they will say, you know, is Jesus, was he really human? Like, maybe he was an alien. Maybe he just came down. That was, that, you look at me funny, it's a thing, that maybe he was just an alien that came down and then went back up to the mothership. He wasn't really human. I'm saying. Or another one that comes out, is Jesus really enough for salvation? Like, is he just, an, is he enough? Surely there's more. Do you see how seductive that is? Because, like, it can sound right. They can, we can use the right words, but it gets twisted. Or there's another way that this comes out, because it comes out in limiting Jesus. Because like that whole idea of Jesus not being enough, Jesus isn't enough to save these people. They need like their own religion too. They need all these other things. Or um, Jesus is just one way to God. In fact, you can follow any of these religions, and we all get up to the top of the mountain together. No, um, or, or another one is, is Jesus is too much. It's too much for them. We need to limit Jesus so that it fits better for them and where they are. I'm going to be just trying to be really plain about what the Bible says. And it's right over here in verse, um, in verse 22. Who is a liar? The liar. But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. If they deny that Jesus is the Christ, if they deny that he's the Messiah, if they deny that he's the gospel, that it's true, if they deny this fundamental bedrock foundation of who Jesus is, it's a false teaching, period. And, and as a pastor, I need to just let you know, part of my job is to help protect us from false teachers, so I need to be really clear here. You don't listen to them. Okay, can, can I, I'm just, I'm going to be really plain. You don't listen to them. Um, you don't watch their videos. You don't listen to their podcasts. You don't read their books. You don't. Because a little seduction goes a really long way in leading you down a really dark path. That's what the whole book of Proverbs is about. Okay? A li- it, only, it doesn't take much. Just a little bit. A little bit will let you go way down a wrong path. We have nothing to do with them because they turn us away from Jesus. And, th- and that's it. Like, that's, that's it. This isn't, as I say with my kids all the time, this isn't a negotiation. We're not having a conversation coming to a compromise. I'm letting you know this is it. That's the line, okay? We don't give them space. But we also, on that same vein, have to be careful about ourselves. 
Because you know the thing is, is that we can deny Jesus too. Just like our kids are learning today about how Peter denied Jesus and Jesus forgave him, we need to know that we can deny him too. We can deny Jesus while we're praising him with our words. It's really easy. We can say Jesus is great, and we had words, but we had no truth behind it. We can deny Jesus by offering a substitute for him. I know that Jesus can fix this problem, but instead, here are these 15 other things that you need to do before you even get to Jesus. Okay? We can deny Jesus by ministering in a manner that denies his character. And that looks like going to someone and saying, hey, I'm going to help meet you, your needs. I'm going to help provide all these social services for you, but I'm never going to tell you the gospel. Never going to tell Jesus. Says. That, that's, that's false. That's not true. We're denying Jesus. Because if we're going to say that we follow him, we have to be sure that we don't deny him. We have to know who he is. So how do we know? How do we know who Jesus is? Well, John says here that there are two different ways that that happens. The first one, he says in verse 20, and it's a little bit weird, but it's interesting and it's good. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. So our first thing is that you, you are, have an anointing by the Holy Spirit. What's that mean? Again, that's a really great question. So let's talk about it. The word anoint means to cover with oil. And it was used a lot of times in the Old Testament. They did an anointing for the high priest. Um, they did anointings for uh, people who were set apart. Um, and in fact, this is an image that's picked up in Psalm 23, where it talks about how he anoints my head with oil. Like, th that's what anointing means. Like, it's to cover with oil. And so this idea of anointing is really important because it was something that these first, or, yeah, first century uh, believers, this is an idea that on every believer, you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit who is the Holy Spirit, and he helps you discern truth from lies. This isn't a special anointing. This isn't like, you know, a super Jesus follower gets this one and this one gets that one. Like, that's not what I'm talking about. This, John is talking to every believer, and he says, you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit has been poured on you like oil. And what that means is that you have all knowledge, you have Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit who can help you discern truth from lie. We don't need a secret knowledge because that was the big thing in John's day was this idea of Gnosticism that said there was higher knowledge, secret knowledge. There's these things you had to reach. We don't need that because we have him. <laughs> we have Jesus. So if you hear someone saying, well, I have a, I have a secret knowledge that's going to tell you about who Jesus is, the, like that's red flag. Okay, flag on the play. We don't give them space. But the second thing that you have other than just an anointing from the Holy Spirit is you have what you've heard from the beginning. That's what he says. Um, that is in verse, I had it underlined and then I lost it. I'm sorry. Verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. That idea of what you've heard from the beginning means the teaching that you received from the gospels, the teaching you received from the apostles, the people that knew Jesus. Let that which you heard from the beginning remain true for you today. So we not only have this anointing from the Holy Spirit, but we have the Bible with which we can test what people say. See, we have their firsthand testimony. We know exactly what was going on, and we have Jesus's own words that describe him. So I'm about to just let you know of a couple of them. 
Uh, Jesus calls himself, I'm the bread of life in John 6, 35. He says, I'm the light of the world in John 8, 12. He says, I'm the door of the sheep in John 10, 7. I'm the good shepherd in John 10, 11. I am the resurrection and the life in John eleven twenty five. 25. In John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. See, Jesus was very clear about who he was, said he was. You have to go to somebody's Instagram reel, TikTok video, or YouTube to find out who Jesus said he was. We can just go to his word. He was very clear. And the idea is that Jesus is the one and the only Son of God. That is the bedrock foundation of our faith. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was crucified for the sins of the world. He was buried in a brand new tomb and was resurrected on the third day, just like he said. He spent time with his disciples after the resurrection until he ascended into heaven, where he lives right now at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and for me. And he will come again. That's who Jesus is. And if anybody tells you of a different type of that story, it's wrong. It's false. And, and I'm going to go as far as to say it's heretical. It's a heresy. We don't give it space. That, that, that's it. Like, we, we can't. Because if you give it space, all you do is invite the enemy in. We, we can't do Jesus is. Because if we're going to follow him, we need to know who we're following. So that leads to my last question for us today. Okay, I know that I need to, as a true follower of Jesus, I need to know who Jesus is. I know that as a true follower of Jesus, I need to stay connected to his body, to his church. But like, how, how do I know him? And how do I know that I know that I know him? And how do I know that I know that? You know, like, we can do this game all day, right? How do we get there? Well, John answers that question too. True followers of Jesus abide in Jesus. True followers of Jesus abide in Jesus. That word abide is really important. John uses that word 23 times in this book alone. So I I think it might be a little important. (laughs) 23 times. And in fact, seven of those times appear in the verses that we've read today. So it's a really important idea. The idea of abiding means to remain, right? To make your home. That's the idea of abide. Um, That's why we use words in Old English like abode. I'm going to my abode. So today when you leave church, say, I'm going to abide in my abode and just see kind of how that conversation goes. I'm interested. Call it a research project. Um, But the idea of abiding is really important. Because what it means, it literally means to make home, to to indwell, to remain. Like, that's important. Because this isn't about visiting Jesus. It's about making our home with him. You You don't make home with people that are going to lead you astray. You don't make home with people that are going to cause harm. You make home with people because you intend to live. And we make home with Jesus. This is, this is what he says in verse 24. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Because if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Do you see that? Do you see that relationship? We abide in his word We abide in the truth of who Jesus is, and Jesus abides in us. 
That, that's how we do it. That's how we know truth from lie. That's how we know that we have a connection. That's how we know that we know that we know who Jesus is, if we abide in his word. Because by abiding in him, he abides in us. And what's the result of that? In verse 25, and this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Eternal life. That idea of eternal uh, is abundant life. And this is something that I got wrong as a, as a youth, as a kid, as a young adult. I got this wrong because I thought that, yeah, that's great. Jesus gives us eternal life. When I die, I live. Amen. Hallelujah. No, <laughs> that's, that's such a shallow version of that promise. That eternal life, that abundant life starts now. He saved you for now, not just for then, for now. You're saved not just to get out of hell. You're saved not just to have fire insurance. You're saved for now, to live life now for him and to grow in relationship with him so that when he comes, we'll, we'll get there, so that when he comes, you're not ashamed. We'll get to that in just a minute. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, we abide in, in his word and Jesus abides in us. And that's this beautiful thing because all of this comes from this idea of preparing for Christ because that happens through abiding in him. We abide in Jesus and in the truth of who Jesus is because that's the one thing, that is the one thing that will always be attacked by Satan. It will always be attacked and it will always be part of the, the false teachings of an antichrist because they're offering you something instead of Jesus. Because here's the deal. From the very beginning, Satan's one question has always been, did God really say? That's how he got Eve. That's how he got Adam. Did God really say? And it's the same thing that has been echoed down through all of the ages. Except now the question is not about a tree. The question is, did God really say that Jesus is the only way? That's it. That's the question. And we have to be able to answer that question. And the only way we do that is by abiding in him. If we begin to question who Jesus is, if we begin to do this looking for something new, some new revelation, some new thought, then our entirety of our faith falls apart. That's why I get on to my mom all the time. I love my mother. She is precious. Okay. She is precious. I love her so much. She'll probably listen to this and get mad at me later. It'll be fine. I love her so much. But I have to remind her sometimes, mom, you can't watch the History Channel special about Jesus and think you're getting the real thing. Okay? You can't read the article posted on BuzzFeed or wherever you found it and think you're getting the real thing. Because now we're coming up on Easter, so they know, right? There's going to be a whole lot of things. You're going to be checking out a giant. You're going to look over, and it's going to be a magazine, Newsweek or something. It says, the real story of Jesus. No, <laughs> you can just bypass that because it's not. It's not true. It, but this is the thing that gets questioned and attacked because if that falls apart, everything else falls apart. C.S. Lewis said it. He said, if we the main question for you is about who Jesus is because Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. That's it. And you have to decide. I also love what uh, Herman Bavnik says. That's a great name if you're looking for a good name later, Bavnik. Um, he's a Dutch churchman and theologian from the late 1800s. And he says this so well. He says, Christ is Christianity itself. He stands not outside of it, but in its center. Without his name, person, and work, there is no Christianity left. In a word, Christ does not point out the way to salvation. He is the way itself. 
The centrality of Jesus is the gospel. It is what we stand on. Because if we do not abide in this truth, and we do not reteach ourselves this every day, then we will be undone. Because the other thing is, is that this, this isn't a, a one-and-done conversation. We have to continually have this conversation with ourselves. It's moment by moment. Because you and I are assaulted by a million different false Christs every day. Okay? Every day. From your own home. All right? I'm a parent of four right now. In my own home, there's a, there's, there's a false Christ. Because you know who it is? It's me. Because I can stand there while my kids are screaming at me and think to myself, okay, I can do this. I got this on my own. That's a lie. <laughs> Straight from hell. It's a false gospel. Because I can't save my kids. I can't provide them a way out. The best I can do is caretake and point the way. That's it. This happens every day in my job. And my, and my, my day job. Uh, because I'm confronted with a myriad of people and a myriad of problems. And they all say, Wes, you have to solve this. And I'm like, yeah, I can do that. I'm a problem solver. Okay? Bob the Builder, can he build it? Yes, he can. That's me, right? I can do that. No, I can't. <laughs> I can't fix it. Because I can't fix people. I can't save people. Only Jesus can do that. So the only way for me to com- combat that in myself is to constantly reteach myself who Jesus is. No matter if you have been following Jesus for 20 years or two days, you never outgrow this. You never grow beyond the need to abide in Christ. It's something that we have to continually do. So how do we respond? What do we do? Why does John write this to the churches in Ephesus? What's his point? What's he trying to help us understand? Well, uh, I'm going to steal a little bit from next week because it's in verses 28 and 29. Sorry, Mark. Okay, look in verse 28 for me. He says, and now little children. Remember that idea of little children is not him being demeaning. It's a term of endearment. It's like, now friends, now my kids, now my loved ones, beloved, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. John brings this up, and he makes this very clear to the early church because he recognizes that Jesus is coming again. And when Jesus comes again, he wants the followers of Jesus to have confidence in it. Because when Jesus comes again, it's, it's not going to be like this quiet little thing. It's going to be big. It's going to be broad. It's going to be bright. And it's going to be undeniable. And really, from here, we have three options. We can, one, be terrified. And those without Christ, that's kind of where they fall. They're going to be terrified. It's going to be a thing. But followers of Christ, you kind of have two options. You can, one, be confident in his coming and stand in confidence, knowing that you have abided in him. Or two, you can be ashamed. Because when he comes and makes everything light, did I abide? that I live for him. That's it. John writes this because he recognizes and knows and lives in confidence that Jesus is coming. And he's teaching us not to be worried about prophecies in the end times, not to try to figure out who Antichrist is or where he was born or even what he says, 
John writes this so that you can be prepared by abiding in Christ, by knowing who he is, and by staying true to the gospel the whole way through. So how do we respond? Number one, uh, worship team, y'all can come back up. Um, We respond to this by not giving space to false teachers. We don't do that. We deny them. Because if someone denies who Jesus is and they deny the gospel, they are not a follower of Jesus. That's it. Like, we have to deny that. Now, I'm not saying be argumentative. I'm not saying become a keyboard warrior and just let them have it. Okay? What I am saying, though, is you deny it. So if there are people in your circle, if there are people who come to you and say, hey, here's this really cool podcast about these guys and they're talking and they are just like opening my eyes to what, who Jesus really is. And you're like, oh, that's really interesting. Tell me more. And they say, yeah, they're just talking about how Jesus really wasn't the son of God. We stop. We stop the conversation because no, we're not going to give space to that. It's not, we're not even going to intellectualize that. We're done. The end. That's false. And we move on. So that's step one. Step two, though, is we abide in Jesus. Paul says to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And we recognize that we abide in his word and that he abides in us. Because as we fill ourselves with his word, he abides in us. That's what John calls us to do. Deny false teachings, know the truth, and then abide in him through it. So I hope that that is encouraging to you today. Uh, I, I hope that you didn't, like, I, I didn't want to start a mass hysteria again like the late 90s. Um, but I do want you to be very, very clear that you have a responsibility if you are a true follower of Jesus. And that responsibility is to deny false teachings and to abide in him. So let's do that. I can't do that for you. <laughs> I can help you if you have questions, but I can't do it for you. You have to do it. So let's pray. Hi, Pastor Brandon here. Thanks again for listening to our Impact Church Sermon Podcast. If God has spoken to you today or you have a prayer request you'd like to share, please email us at hello at impactfxbg.church. If you're local to the Fredericksburg area, we would love to see you for worship in person. But if not, please let us know if we can help you find a gospel-centered church right where you're at. Feel free to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram and on our website, www.impactfxbg.church. Until next time, keep living the dream.